Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to the Next Gen Leadership Podcast. My name is Nolan Schoenveld. Alongside me, Jonathan Perrin. Jonathan, how are you doing today? Doing well, Nolan. Doing well. Almost Memorial Day, man. I feel like we just put fast forward on 2022. <laughs> a little bit different than a couple years ago. Just uh, just a couple months ago, we were planning for this podcast in the season to come out. So it's exciting. And, and uh, yeah, time is flying. We have uh, up here in the Midwest, it's cabin weekend. So everybody goes up to the lake house and puts their boats in. So if you haven't put your boat in already, uh, it's the weekend that the lake starts getting busy. So it's an exciting time in, in the Midwest for sure. How about you? Yep. Same here. Our uh, neighborhood pool opened yesterday. So we're... Uh... We're pretty pumped about that. Probably going to check that out this weekend. <laughs> now, you guys have like 80 degrees right now. It's about 50 up here, so it's a little bit different. So hopping in a pool doesn't sound that appealing to me. Or the oh, yeah. lake. Yeah, it's going to be like 85 and sunny on Sunday. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be big chilling with a, with a margarita or something by the pool for sure. <laughs> Love it. Do you have any uh, Memorial Day plans that you guys and the family do, like in general? No. Well, Tra- traditions? My whole life, it was go play baseball somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, it's like uh, this. I love this time of year watching baseballs because they have all the gear and they have the flyovers and the ceremonies on the fields. Um, sometimes it can be a little bit overdone. But I even remember, you know, during this time of year, this is kind of the time of year where the Northwoods leagues and the summer leagues get to start. Um, so it's, it's fun for college players. If you're not in the college World Series, um, you know, or playoff time. For division one baseball uh they they get to go start playing summer ball and, and begin their summer so good time all the way around good memories and uh fun but uh, yeah absolutely best of luck to all those players getting ready to start their uh they're in the conference tournaments or finishing up their college seasons and going to going to summer ball man nothing more fun than just going and playing no school playing ball all summer i miss that right. those days <laughs> now we're dealing with uh, financial markets all day long and the uh, struggles of up and down volatility. So different world for us. Um, but Jonathan, I think today uh, a unique little topic that we wanted to discuss is the parallels between baseball and successful and disciplined investing. You know, two two topics that we both care a lot about um, and what it really means to be disciplined. You know, I had I had the reason this this idea came to mind for me is because I had a couple athletes. Um, who are starting to get into the grind uh, of baseball. The high school guys that they're ending your high school season and trying to get into the summer season, like I had mentioned, and they're starting to feel like they're they're turning the wheel a little bit, but not going anywhere, right? And and so keeping those guys disciplined to to the things that we talk about in their in their plan and what they're trying to work on is unique, but it ties into what we do in our do- job every day. And I think it's valuable to a lot of minor leaguers as they start to get a couple months into the season here as well. Um, so let's dive into it, Jonathan. We talk about the fundamentals uh, um, uh, of investing in baseball. What similarities do you see and have you seen in the last couple of years of your career? Yeah, I mean, there's just so many parallels. I mean, being successful in one aspect, success principles are success principles. And I think, you know, fundamentals of whatever you're doing, just so important. I mean, you know, I just think back to, you know, going through that college season and getting into pro ball and, and, if things are going well, just trying to continue to to stick with your routine and, and get to get to those basics and know what your your foundational things that you have to do from a day to day basis were, you know, and then uh, from a financial standpoint, it's the same thing. You know, I kind of I kind of compare like the, you know, the, the foundation for anybody like you really can't have, be successful financially if you don't understand how to manage your cash flow. Um, 
I like to say manage cash flow. Most people say budget. Uh, I just think people hear the word budget and they get they like cringe when they hear it. So I try to use I, we're gonna manage your cash flow. But uh, to me, that's just kind of the uh, the eating healthy and like lifting weights and getting enough sleep part of finance that would be to being an athlete. I mean, you, it's just stuff that 99% of people have to do. There's that exclusive few that they can get away with it, but they're the exception, not the rule. And everybody else that's a normal person has <laughs> to do those things in order to be successful. You know, you're, yeah. you're probably the rule, not the exception. So um, that's kind of always where we start. And uh, that's just kind of the baseline that you have to be able to get down before we can even start to talk about actually investing or doing anything else with your money. I like using the word cash flow instead of budgeting too. I, I really haven't thought about it that way, but I guess in even my mind, I think about cash flow. Maybe that's because we're business majors and that's what we kind of learned is, you know, you're not a business major, history major. Well, <laughs> well <laughs> that's good to know. I mean, you're so your mindset, where does that come from then? You know, where, where does, cause cash flow for me means I think of, I make a thousand dollars. I spend 700. I'm cash flow on $300 in profit. Like I think of a business, like literally my life as a business where simple math, that extra 300 bucks then gets taken and either reinvested or spent on an expense that I think would be valuable to kind of enhance my life. Um, wh where, where did that come for you? Similar. I'm a numbers based guy. I just, I just happen to have a liberal arts degree. I, I was a big fan of, I'm actually very thankful now that I did it that way, just because uh, it's more how to think, not what to think. So for me, it was like, uh, you know, just kind of how the framing of it was. So I think for me, it's just, I was very sensitive, like always reading and writing, you know, and, and learning um, about those things in that way. So just, I think I'm just kind of sensitive to the language, right. And just how people react to certain language. And you always want to try and know in our job to to touch on people's on their level communicate with their language kind of like any coach would like we were like we were talking about with gravity like you kind of got to get down onto their level and and speak it into language that that they understand so that's kind of that's just kind of where my my frame of reference went with that yeah it's 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 a great point you know and and i think that many people struggle with understanding financial language in general and that's why we're employed <laughs> so it makes it easy for us to to teach in some way just like we would teach in the game of baseball as a coach yeah and that's um, that's another similarity in my opinion i think you know the jargon like the financial industry in general i mean you took your series licenses so did i um you know and there's language on those tests or even if you just like go through like a disclosure document like there's so many words that your average person is not going to have any clue what it means and same thing with baseball so it's just like there's it, it is their there is their own language into the language of finance and investing the same way like as a young kid like coaching last year when i was like coaching the 14 year olds to save up to get our get my engagement ring for maddie it was i would say things that like were just normal to me in pro ball but 14 year olds like wait what <laughs> yeah you know, so even just being able to like communicate on that level and like for a normal person to be able to pick up some of the basic language so you understand what you're going into when you do meet with someone like us but then also so that you know it's our job as the professional to be able to speak it into 
what quote unquote layperson terms. Right. I think too the the end goal in mind, like you had mentioned in our notes here, is, is key for people to understand. We all have a dream. We all have an idea and and a what we want out of this life, right? And in baseball, that's playing professionally at the highest level, whatever we can get to. Um, in finance, the general term is retirement. I don't think that even you know that could get us down a whole another rabbit hole today. But I don't think retirement is the end goal for a lot of people. It's it's becoming these levels of financial freedom. Um, so financial independence. What does that mean? And and different different ways that we become a successful investor, like you had mentioned too. Yeah, it defines success. I mean, what's the sex? What does success look like for you? I mean, uh, you know, and also like with your goal in baseball too. I don't. I think everybody like has like the the pie in the sky dream. Oh, I want to play in the big leagues. But I talk with I talk with players, and I know you you're actively involved with young guys, uh, keeping your expectations realistic, understanding what is a realistic goal for you, and and what is it that you actually want to accomplish. You know, and whether that be hey, I just want to get my school paid for. I do want to go try and pursue a game, a pro game. You know, whatever that whatever that looks like for you. And on the investment side too, it's the same thing. I mean. Some people love work. I know people that are like, ah, I'm going to work till I'm 75. I got other people that if they could never work a day in their life at 25 and just go sit on a beach somewhere and sit mojitos, they'd do that. You know, each individual person is different. And at the end of the day, it just goes down to what do we actually want to do? What what is the end goal look like? What do I want my life to look like in, a, in an ideal sense? And then figuring out a way to back into that and being flexible about it because it's never going to be a straight line. You know, my Mike Tyson's quote, right? Everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face. Life has a funny way of punching you in the face. Um, so does baseball. So does just about anything that you're going to undertake over a long period of time. So can you be flexible enough to know where you want to go, but know that the path is not going to always be just a direct line. and It's going to have some twists and some turns to it. Cass gave that example in gravity as well, which it's it's very true. Like as a baseball player, you you might work four different jobs while you're playing baseball at the same time. Right. But everybody thinks on the back end, it's all sunshine and rainbows. And these major league players have been, you know, just focusing on baseball when in reality they can't. They have to provide for their families. And uh, that's just the reality of the real world that a 14 year old doesn't think about, too. Um, where we don't want them to think about that, right? We want them to have fun and play baseball. But um, av- after you go through it, you realize that. And so this, that's a good message to spread, spread to some of the younger kids that listen to this um, because you can still enjoy, you know, being a teenager and not have to focus on real life at the end of the day and paying all your taxes and all that stuff that you're going to have to do eventually in life that don't sound that fun. But um, it is it is realistic uh, and be prepared for it. So Yeah, and... And just like, it's a process. Like you gotta just, it, the, the classic cliche of, you know, trust the process and, and being consistent, you know, whatever, you know, not every day is going to be a good day, you know, and it's, whether it's in practice, you're, not every day you practice is going to be a good day. Not every day in the market's going to be green. I mean, we're seeing that right now. This is with, hopefully we finally are up on the week, but this, you know, if we finish top up for the week, it'd be the first time in two months we had a positive week, you know? Like, right. So being able to stay consistent, you know, and, and talking with people on, on the financial side, it's, well, what do we do? Well, just 
keep doing what you've been doing. Like we, we, we know that this is going to happen from time to time. It's not going to go straight up. There's going to be bouts of volatility. And it's, if we can keep that long-term mindset or at least frame, you know, have that long-term goal out there that we know we're going to continue to work for, um, then it's a lot easier for us to, to not get so distracted or not get so bogged down in the the nitty gritty of the day to day and, and, be able to just continue to plug away over time. Right. I want to go back to that conversation about retirement a little bit and dive into a little bit of a debate with you on that because your clients are different than mine, right? In our in our firm and what we do. So do you see a lot of your younger clients thinking the same way ours do and that they want to ret- retire at a younger age where it's it's not necessarily work to them? in their fifties and their sixties versus your generational clients that are in their retirement phase. And, you know, within the next five years. Yeah, a hundred percent. I think, I don't think anybody our age is trying to do the traditional work 40 years till you're 60 something and then retire and live for 30 years after that, you know, off, off of your 4% a year or whatever. I I think that (laughs) traditional boomer version of retirements, uh, not even on the radar of a lot of millennial investors. Um, I think part of that is just, it seems so far away. Like it's just an abstract thought, you know, for, Mm. for your people who are, you know, less than a decade out, like that is a very real tangible thing. That's like starting to become like a kind of a boogeyman almost in the closet where it just keeps creeping up on them for some people where, for people closer to our age, I think it's just so far away. It's literally just like a, it's like an abstract thought in your head. Um, Also, I think the attitudes are just different. I mean, remote work, mobile work, gig economy work, all the different ways that our generation has been exposed to be able to make, you know, just a little extra cash here and there. I think that traditional retirement also may look a lot different just just from that perspective as well you know i think that kind of hybrid retirement almost where it's just a little bit more flexible and just work when i need to get a little extra cash or, or whatever i think i think that is a little bit more of a the frame of reference in which younger people are probably thinking about retirement and i think too the the conversation as a financial advisor you and i doing our jobs and being younger in the industry um takes a shift on the way that we do financial planning uh because of the fact that the average age of a financial advisor is somewhere in the 50s they always change the the age it could be 56 it could be 59 but those people are starting to get out of the industry and that gives us the opportunity to work with their clients right because if they don't have a you know contingency plan in place and uh whatever whatever the case may be if they're not passing down their book business those clients still need somebody to help them with managing their money and so shifting the conversation with them is is sometimes a very challenging thing because they have been taught or instructed or had the conversations with the older generation advisor on hey this is how financial planning has always been done we used to work at a broker or big broker dealer house or a wire house right and Uh, They were taught to sell insurance at their beginning of their career. And 20 years later, here we are changing the game and having different conversations with people. Um, And so there's this shift. But also, again, it goes back to the way we communicate with our clients, understanding that things things aren't the same in the markets as they were 20 years ago, even though the fundamentals are still consistent with with it every single day, right? Staying consistent in investment, staying disciplined, understanding volatility, X, Y, Z, all those good things. So. 
Yeah, the, the foundation is the foundation. Like being a good investor, I mean, is it's gonna it's not gonna change. I mean, buy and hold has generally been the the correct approach, not you know, consistently putting money in over time over a DCA plan, maximize you know, getting your company matched. Like there's just some basic fundamental principles that pretty much every working person is gonna have to do to be successful financially. Um, but then yeah, I hundred percent agree. I mean, the financial industry has changed so much. Uh, you know, my managing director has been in the industry 34 years now. And he was telling me, he's like, when I got started, it was a hundred dollars a trade ticket. Like you paid a hundred dollar <laughs> commission just oh to make one trade, like right. a trade. Like that was what it was. And now, you know, most broker houses are free or, you know, two or three or $4, like very, very minimal, you know, which is I think, you know, it's great that you're saving on costs, but it also makes it a lot easier to trade. You know, I mean, I remember when I opened my first broke account and it was like, well, you got free trading on TD Ameritrade. I was like, I'm making like 70 <laughs> trades a day. Not right. even, not honestly, don't even, I didn't really know what I was doing. I was still filling it out, but it was like, I was just making trades and make the trades. They were free. Why not? <laughs> right. So the, just to do the, it. the friction and like the barriers to entry are so much lower uh, mm -hmm. for investing. And there's that with the rise of the internet, there's so much more information out there, which is both a plus and a minus. I think the access in, to information makes it easier for people to attempt to do it themselves. But at the same time, you get inundated with a lot of different information and, and, sometimes that can lead to people to get spooked and run for the hills. Like you get that information overload and then it's just a panic. Yeah. I remember when Robinhood first came out, um, it was in its infancy, right? So they, they started in 2013 and I was in college in 2016 and my freshman year, I took a finance class. It was all about, you know, I think it was like, we had an endowment within the school. So it was like, I think it was like a hundred thousand dollars that that donors had given. And basically the students would take the money and then they would buy stocks and you'd have to write a research report on why you want to buy that stock or sell that stock out of the portfolio. And at the time, I think it was up like $70,000. Like kids had done like really good. This one guy had like a 10 X return on a, a semiconductor and just some funny stocks in there. Right. Um, I had bought Texas Roadhouse because at the time that was the only stock that ever made me money. So I put that in the portfolio, but there was a kid in the class that he, he was talking about this Robinhood app. And I'm like, what is this? Like, all right, I'll hop on it, see what it is. And you could trade stocks. And I think at the time they didn't even have free trading yet. And they were still like $9 a trade. Um, I think they might've been always free, but I, I just can't remember. It was like, man, I don't, I don't know if I can afford that yet, you know? And then uh, they did come out with free trading and then all of a sudden it just spiraled into this everybody's using it kind of thing and all everybody in college was talking about it and uh, hey, can you invest here and do this? And I would be in like a history class and sitting on my Robinhood app like trading stocks all day in class because I didn't care about, you know, what I was learning. So um, but I was learning something else there and that was important to me and um, I had winners and losers. And so that was fun. You know, it was fun for me. It wasn't like I made a bunch of money or lost a bunch of money, but again, it, it shows, even if you have a couple hundred bucks in there, uh, it's a good learning experience and you're not going to get rich quick by doing it. This isn't, this isn't a scheme that is, is just, you make money quickly. 
right? <laughs> That's what I always try and explain to people. This is the, you know, investing is a get, get rich slow technique. If you want to go get rich quick, good luck, right? Like yeah. there's a few that you can get rich quick. It has been done. I'm not saying it has, it is it's not impossible, but the odds are certainly not in your favor. Um, you know, and, and I, had, I don't know if you've ever read uh, Nassim Taleb's Incierto series, but he's a ex- extremely brilliant uh, statistician. And one thing that he talks about is human beings in general are not good at thinking in probabilities. Like that just is not something that humans are good at. Um, but the reason why I bring that up is, you know, you talk about the get rich slow versus get rich, get rich quick. Right? Your probabilities of success with the get rich quick, I mean, maybe you hit it, but your chances are extremely low. With the get rich slow, I mean, your chances are high. And with stock market, if I told you I could go, you could go into a casino and if all you had to do was sit there for 20 years and you had a 99.8% chance of making money, all you had to do is just sit there at the table and keep playing for 20 years. That's all you had to do. That's pretty good odds. You probably, I don't know. And I don't know if you want to sit at Blackjack table for 20 years straight, but, <laughs> you know, but it, if you could like, you know, go and live your normal life. But if you checked in at the Blackjack table every day for a little while and you made money, you'd be pretty happy. Well, guess yeah. what? That's the U.S. stock market. Over 20 years, 99.8% positive return rate. Over 30 years, 100%. Right. So, you again, that zooming out and keeping that end in mind, that long term mindset. I mean, you just got to stay in the seat. Worst thing you yep. can do as a young person in the accumulation phase is hit the sell button, right? That's the worst thing you can do, especially in a time like this, right? This is a time where you want to be going and continuing to add money to work through whether it's your 401k plan or dollar cost averaging into your, your Roth IRA or a brokerage account or something like that. Um, that's the time, right? That's the time to, you know, grit your teeth, wear it and, and buckle down and continue to stay with your process. Yeah. And I think uh, income is a key piece of it too, right? Um, over the last couple of years, we've seen a shift in hiring and the way that you can make money. Um, I've seen people do this where they kind of job hop. And this is very common within the young generation. They start in a job and work for two years, go get a $20,000 raise to the next place, work for another two years, uh, see it maybe $10,000, $20,000 raise again. And they keep doing that until they feel like they're maybe comfortable with the salary. Um, but because of this constant increase in, in the economy with jobs and uh, the shift, if you're good at what you're doing, you can make a lot of income in the corporate world. Now, that's not to say that if you start your own business, you're not going to see that same growth or anything like that. But um, I have seen that happen a lot with some of the younger clients uh, and and just stories that I've heard, which is which is interesting to me, you know, because if you have an extra $20,000 of income to invest, makes it a lot easier if you're just making $40,000 a year and you're trying to save 10% of that income, you know, or trying to live. Right. And so that's been, that's been key. And and we've maybe gotten lucky that might not continue to happen uh, over the next 10 to 15 years, but uh, just seeing that increase in people willing to pay higher salaries um, and that's going to help long-term too with compounding and all that good stuff. Yeah. Um, couple couple points on that you you made a couple really nice comments there but talk about going you know two years ten fifteen thousand dollar raise i mean you know if your average raise is four percent and then you can go get a 25 percent raise early in your career by switching jobs it's a no-brainer 
because you talk about the compounding effect. It's like if your annual salary is growing at 4% a year compounded versus you get a 15% jump at like year two of your career and then you just go 4% a year, like that completely alters your earnings trajectory over the life of your career. So more power to you. If you're a young person today and you've got a $10,000, $15,000 raise sitting out there, take it. <laughs> it's going to be the best thing that ever happened to you because now you're setting your salary floor higher. Um, and the other part is the average person, I saw this is a study that was done a couple of years ago. So I would be willing to venture that this number will be higher going into the future. The average person changes jobs seven times over the course of their career. So the the class, you know, the the classic, uh, we're gonna work until you know work for the same company for forty and retire for forty years and retire with a pension. Like that's dead. That's that's not happening. That's not coming back. Pensions are not coming back. Most of them are underfunded. So if you get a chance to to go make more money, get better benefits, get a better situation, by all means take advantage of it. And um, this other point I would like to make was. Uh, after going to the Berkshire Hathaway meeting last month, um, Warren Buffett was, was he said this multiple different times. This was his answer to the inflation question. What's the best hedge against inflation? He said investing in yourself, your personal skills are only going to become more valuable with inflation. And what he meant by that is if you have a skill, you know, if you have the ability to do something and the ability to charge for it, your time and your skill is only going to become more valuable over time as money devalues. So the best investment you can make to hedge yourself against the rising cost of living is to develop a skill that is valuable and continue to stay valuable over time. And I thought that was just such great perspective because it made so much sense. I was like, your most valuable asset, We I talk about this with, with clients that are especially in the accumulation phase, you know, under age 40, 45, your most valuable asset is your human capital and your future earnings power over the life of your career. That's the most valuable thing you have. So how can we invest in that to make that even more valuable to you? So like you said, you can make more money. You can put more money away. You can save, you can do different things. Yeah. The, um, I was looking it up too for you. The average person in the United States between 18 and 24 has an average of 5.7 career changes. Meanwhile, from 25 to 34, Average is about 2.4 and 35 to 44, another 2.9 times. So you're talking in their career, that's eight, nine, 10, like almost 10 to 12 times in their, in their career that they're changing jobs. Um, that's crazy to me. <laughs> I've been doing the same thing for the last six years. I can't see myself ever leaving. Everybody's got a different opinion on that, but that's, that is what it is, right? I, I'm, it's just a personal choice that I want to be doing this for the rest of my life and um, because there is so much uniqueness to this career uh, and a shift in the way I'm doing things. Uh, but anyway, that's a different conversation. Uh, the love the quote from Warren Buffett. One, uh, just a comment there. That was super cool. Uh, going back to the baseball side of it, did you do anything in your career to stay consistent? Like, what was the thing that made you unique as a baseball player and discipline as a baseball player to get to the level you did? Uh, just routine up to this day. Like I was a starting pitcher for most of my career. So like, you know, in college it was seven day rotation, uh, pro ball five day rotation, but I am like such a creature of habit. Like it's kind of creepy. I think 
like some people find it a little weird because I literally eat the same thing, like go to bed at the same time, wake up, like, like literally almost institutionalized, you know, especially during the season. But even now, like, I mean, I pretty much do the same thing from 5 a.m. when I wake up till, you know, 8.15 when I get to the office, like my day, like pretty much looks almost exactly the same which is a little weird to some people, but I think just being consistent with your routine and that kind of just grounds me and helps me start off. And, uh, you know, even in pro ball, I was like, I knew I was going to get up, I was going to have my coffee. I was going to read the paper on my phone, uh, <laughs> eggs, bacon, you know, and either pancakes or toast. That was like the swish, you know, <laughs> that was the one thing I'd mix up. Right. And then, <laughs> you know, get to the field. I had the same, you know, 30 minute or so like movement prep routine with the foam roll you know, band work, different, you know, just different things to get my body ready. And that was just kind of what set my, like kind of just set the tone for each day. Um, but that's just, that's just kind of how I went about it. And everybody's got their own thing that they do to just kind of set themselves or like kind of ground themselves in and then, and then just get ready to go. I was the same way, but at the plate, uh, as a pitcher, I had to be kind of on my toes because for me at D3, like I had to go play in the field and in game one and then go pitch game two. So like I didn't necessarily have the time to have a routine. Uh, but as at the plate, I learned this so early on and I loved it. I had when I stepped into the on deck circle, I did the same thing every single time I stepped in the same spot on the field that I was at. I had the same, you know, I twist my wrist a little bit, do some arm circles, bend over, think about my approach, do X, Y, and Z. And then I would take my time to the plate, step in the box. You know, you see it, right? You see that happen, but a lot of young players don't do this. And I was just talking to one of my athletes the other day. I was watching a high school player sprint off the field after he struck out, which is unrealistic like in the major league level. Major league players, college players, they don't sprint off the field after you just struck out. Or they don't run up to the plate after a guy gets a hit, right? They take their time. They use an approach. They have a routine when they get there. And it kind of looks professional to do that, right? I'm not saying that it's, it's right or wrong, but high school players don't understand that. And they just run everywhere because that's what they were told. They were told to hustle, right, by their coach and get, to the, get somewhere. But that's not how it works at the major league level or the minor league level. You don't see players just sprinting all around and doing this, but there's there's hustle, right? There's, there's a point where you hustle um, and do these different things. So anyway, long story short, that routine of doing the same thing I've learned on very early, and that helped me in my game because I was more controlled. Um, it helped me. <laughs> it's helped me on the golf course, even though I still suck there. Uh, I take two practice swings before every time. And if I don't, and I swing the club, I'm like, my hands feel like crap, like I cut a ball or, or slice it bad or something like that. Um, and it, it's transitioned into my work life and the, the habits that I have within things. Um, maybe it's just me, but I've, I've maybe gotten into away from it as I've gotten into professional life. And I think young professionals do get away from just falling into a routine. Um, and it's good with investing and sometimes in life it can be bad, right? We, we forget some of the good things that we used to be doing that helped us mentally or whatever that piece may be. So uh, anyway, long rant there. (laughs) And what I, what I, what I like to do to combat that is automate, automate, make it, make it automatic. Like just make, make it to where you don't even have to think about it. Excuse me. Um, you know, for me, like, again, I've, I've said this before on here, but like Roth IRA contribution, like, 
we get paid twice a month. I get paid first and the 15th, third and the 17th money's going in. Right. And I don't, I don't check it. I know it, I, it doesn't matter. It's already coming. Same thing with, you know, retirement plan contributions. I don't ever see the money it's going in. Like it's automatic. I don't have to think about it anymore. It's just going to happen whether I'm thinking about it or not. And I think that's such a good way because, you know, life happens, things get sped up. You, you, you forget things get busy. And, you know, we do this on a daily basis. We do this on a daily basis. I don't check my account every day. I don't, I don't know if you do. I don't check it every day. Um, but I know it, I know it's all set up the way I need to. And then on the backside of that is I'm, I have no guilt in spending the remainder of my cash flow because my savings rate is already baked in automatically and you don't have, I don't have to worry about it. Like I already saved the more than enough money each month that I'm supposed to. And then everything else, it's mine free and clear to do what I want with. And I have no guilt, uh, with going out and spending that. Yeah, no, it's uh, exactly what we should be doing. <laughs> Yet some people still can't do it. So we'll uh, we'll challenge the people that don't, and and uh, hopefully that those people have conversations with uh, people like Jonathan and I. And uh, you know, it's it's key for us. So, any final thoughts as we wrap up here today on the show? Um, like I said, I hope you have a good Memorial Day weekend. But anything else on the consistencies and parallels of of baseball and investing? Yeah, my last my last tidbit here. So you know we're we're in a nice little nasty uh, downswing here in the market, and uh, you know one one more Warren Buffett quote because you know when we get the bear market territory, you got to bring up Buffett quotes. But you know he's a the classic: be greedy when others are fearful, and fearful when others are greedy. Right? Like my version of that is just go embrace the suck. That's what we always used to tell each other in the minor leagues. You know you're grinding it out. Um, so just you know hold your nose, wear it, take the plunge. Don't be scared, especially if you're in accumulation phase. Just you know, don't be afraid. It's going to be okay. I mean, if it goes to zero, we're, in, we're all screwed anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I had a conversation with somebody about that. I was like, well, what if this goes to zero? I was like, then we're probably all dead. So, yeah. you know, at the end of the day, just hold your nose, jump in, cannonball, and I promise you won't regret it <laughs> in 25 years. World War Z, if that happened. I hope it never does. So, Love it, man. Well, hey, if you enjoyed today's episode, feel free to subscribe, rate the show. That would really help us out um, with the, the YouTube algorithms and the, the Spotify algorithms. They, they have so many these days. So we're trying to push this out to more people, more minor leaguers, uh, more people on a bus. Right. So feel free to spread this message uh, if, you, if you enjoyed what you heard today. Um, we'll have more guests on the show as the summer goes on and some really cool guys. Uh, to share their perspectives within the game of baseball and how how their lives have have been impacted, um, and even included in investing. I think we might have some some uh, ETF guys on the show soon, and, and all those good things. So we'll see what we'll we'll see what we can get on for you guys. But again, thank you for listening to us, and have a great rest of your day.